welcome to today's Ask About Asthma podcast episode on clean air clinics and um, our experiences setting them up. I'm Abigail Whitehouse. I'm a paediatric respiratory consultant and a senior clinical lecturer. Um, I work at Royal London Hospital in East London and I also work at Queen Mary University. Um, we've got an environmental health clinic here at Royal London Hospital and I'm joined by... Uh, hi Abby, I'm Ian Sinner. I'm a respiratory uh, consultant up in Alder Hay uh, in Liverpool. And we've had a uh, what we've called a clean air clinic for a couple of years now. So it's it's always interesting to talk to you about how our services are similar and how they differ. And we've you know, we've learned a lot from each other over over time, haven't we? Absolutely. Um, how how did you come? I know how we came to ours, and I'll, I'll talk about how we set ours up. But um, how did you come to want to set up your clinic in Older Hay? Yeah, so uh, uh, in our respiratory clinics in a place like Liverpool that's got high levels of, of deprivation, it's been very evident for, for decades that a lot of what we see uh, is just the manifestations of not having much money. And what, one of the key things is the housing in which people live. Um, and it'd be quite interesting to, sort of, I, I know there are differences between Liverpool and London in that, uh, in, in that approach and there'll be different challenges, but one of the similar threads right across the country, right across the world, is if you haven't got much money, you don't live in a in a good, you're more likely to not live in a good house. So the reason that we kind of set this up as a clinic is that for years we've been writing, you know, copying our clinic letters to housing agency offices and things like that, or writing a paragraph that says, this child has got asthma or BPD or CF or whatever. And, um, we think that the house is a real problem. Can you sort it out, please? Thank you very much. Uh, and we realised that they they just didn't land. They didn't work. Nobody acted on them. Nobody took them seriously. They just ended up on a pile of letters. Um, and so we wanted to set up a clinic that was something that gave the parents something that they could use for basically agency, something that they could use to 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 back them in their corner when they were talking about housing. Um, and it just the, the way that we write the reports as we, and I'm sure we'll come on to this, but we write a very long report that, um, that, that is much longer than my normal clinic letters and uh, parents kind of take that along with them when they're, um, when they're trying to move house or get something fixed or, or whatever. And, um, and we found that it worked, so we, we stuck with it. Um, and it just gives a more structured approach, I think, to, uh, to arguing the case on behalf of families. That that was a real driver for us. How about you? I'm always interested in what happened in your it, neck of the woods because you guys have been leading air quality for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, so I work with um, Professor Jonathan Gregg, who I'm sure most people listening will know. Um, and I've come up through my training um, and done my academic work with him. And our clinic probably came from the academic side of things rather than the clinical side. Um, and came out of years of research looking at environmental exposures, primarily traffic related uh, environmental exposures. So, you know, looking at kind of what are children exposed to, how does that impact on their health um, from an outside perspective? And certainly the setup was to bring in a lot of the things that we do in research studies into clinical practice. So trying to bring in some of our monitoring, um, bringing together our skills from the studies that we've done. And then I think there was a big, we, we were funded really nicely by um, Bart's Charity, which is a, a, the charity that goes alongside Bart's Health. 
um, to set up this clinic, which we've done. But as the time has gone on since we started, we've realised that actually a lot of the things that our patients are more are mainly interested in is that that indoor air quality and housing. And I've switched and I've, I have brought in, we've brought in quite a lot of the housing side of things as what we've learned as we've gone along um, and actually are doing a very similar thing. So we, we, we're writing those nice long letters, which hopefully have some more impact and working with other people to try and work out how we can support from a housing perspective, but still making sure that we're trying to do those other bits, which are looking at outside exposures as well. So I think it's we came from a very different um, viewpoint initially, but actually have realised that we need all of it. And one of the nicest things I've found from the clinic is we've got a really keen clinical research fellow who uh, runs it on a day-to-day -day basis, but it means that we have more time with the patients. Um, we can, you know, we've got hour-long appointments where we can mm. talk about all these different exposures and um, all these different things and have conversations that I know that we don't have routine time for in our clinic and clinics normally, and also that we don't, you know, primary care certainly don't as well. Um, so it's 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 that has been a really interesting part of the setup process. Um, do you find that as well? Do you like having that extra time? Oh yeah, we do. Just out of interest, I mean, we see. Uh, I've got two PhD students who are helping me. This isn't their main thing, like it is for your Charlie, but for um, for for us, we've got Alice and Carl, um, who are two registrars, and that's helpful. But we we see just given the time that it takes to prepare for the clinic because we do put as much as I say it's about indoor housing mostly it is we do pull in outdoor data as well and so there's you know the time preparing for the appointment plus an hour-long appointment which usually doesn't take the full hour but you know somewhere around 45 minutes to an hour plus writing the letter is another half an hour so it is quite a time-consuming thing and we see about for a month, somewhere between three, two, two to four a month, on average about three. Is that? Is that? Are you seeing more than that? No, um, that no. We're we're pretty much sticking to that, and we're yeah. we're seeing we we aim to see about six a month, um, and that's what we've been doing in the yeah. past. We may increase it slightly um, going forwards, um, but at the moment, yeah, we're seeing between yeah. four and six a month because that it's that all that other stuff around the outside yeah. and what we also bring in all of our asthma things as well so they um you know all of these patients are getting a review of all of their asthma data as well as part of this so it, mm, it all goes sure. into that so um yeah I, I think you could be keener and see more a month but I think you wouldn't do it as well and I think that's okay. a key thing for anybody that wants to set up something it's, similar there's a kind of uh, I mean there are so many children in poor housing who've got respiratory problems and you know I, I think there's been a bit of a shift over the last 10 years or so in people's thinking on this and that's you know largely driven by some really good names in the field Prof Bush, Prof, uh, Prof Greg for example, Prof Davies has been talking about this in CF for a long time but the idea that social determinants of health in childhood are the things that determine your adult life course of respiratory health and your life expectancy etc are really important I mean in Liverpool uh, you know a 15 minute train ride from the outskirts to the inner city takes 15 years off your life expectancy you know it's it's, it's really quite uh, quite spectacularly bad uh, and London has got 
pockets of absolute deprivation living there are so many children who are under the radar that we won't pick up but will be presenting to copd clinics in 35 years time having never seen you, you know and i think when we look at the numbers if you start to think of it in that way the numbers are so huge that that really detailed approach we've started now having to and i, and I was initially not keen to do this but then obviously like, being pragmatic about it we've now almost got a two-tier level of uh of stuff and we've got the kids who just live in poor housing and might have some respiratory stuff and we say yeah this is really bad they shouldn't live in. and that's quicker that's usually a oh there's some mold in my house there's a bit of dust i came to ed once and you know, okay well that's not great but i can't spend an hour and a half writing that letter and we've got other kids who have either got asthma or a frequent attenders or have got really horrendous housing that's probably the the standard and then we've got some for example uh, and this is probably the most um the, the biggest sort of outdoor air pollution case that we had through our clinic was a, a child living next to a landfill site mm -hmm. uh, and that took about six months of about an hour a day we you know we took that case to the high court as you know and so it does seem to to, to vary but but i think what we have learned from that process is that they still have to have gone through that clinic in some form. Somebody just tagging on a paragraph at the end of a clinic letter saying, by the way, this housing is really bad, doesn't it doesn't achieve anything. For for us, the time is spent. You're right, you know, there's there's the, the clinical data and there's the environmental data, whether that be indoor, outdoor, whatever. And anybody can take a medical history anybody can ask someone what the house is like but our entire focus is tying the two of those together because it's so easy for people to say well loads of kids have got asthma what are you worried about or loads of kids are born preterm what are you worried about you know but the point is that when you've got a letter written by someone with some respiratory expertise saying well actually in the asthma story this is unusual that's worse than it should be in the BPD story, well, this is a child who should be better than he is, but isn't. And the only thing that's driving this is that we can see is air quality. So that's the thing that takes the time, isn't it? Is that what you've found in your? Absolutely. And I think it's thinking about how the clinic has a wider impact. It's, so we've got the kids that come through and we can do something specific for them. And we have had, I, I've, I've learned a lot about housing rules and laws over the last 18 months, two years, and have made a lot of connections with um, housing authorities and um, landlords, organisations, trying to learn how we can best support the patients that we see directly, but also how can we support everybody else? And certainly I get it from uh, my general paediatric colleagues here, um, primary care colleagues, is how can we escalate housing issues? And the ones where we've had where we've in, where we've had a proper impact into changing something has required something outside of what we normally do in within clinical medicine and so you know emails to landlords housing authorities and then then something happens um but it's about kind of using what we're seeing to how we can make a difference and you're right there's those all those children out there that are going to turn into adults with long-term respiratory disease that unfortunately we don't see because they don't quite they don't even make it into the secondary care hospitals so how Ooh. do we have an impact on them and I think 
that's where that's where the wider impact of hopefully our clinic will have some impact in the education side of things but it still requires us to understand the other side of it and I was shocked um, for just Tower Hamlets alone the number of families in the tens of thousands waiting for a more appropriate housing um, than what they've got and I I just the numbers are overwhelming um, and we certainly can't see all of them but we can certainly make some impact and potentially have those conversations which I think is important. Do you find that you get people from outside of the clinic as well like you get kind of people emailing phone calls asking for advice and support that was in the um in the national news from from obviously down south somewhere and um and a journalist got in touch and said can you speak to this mum and it was just so I spoke with that mum that afternoon and we got the letter out and and that helped her almost immediately so um so we do but it's not it's a bit organic and I, I mean and there are pros and cons of doing it that way it would be a full-time job kind of answering yeah. phone calls on this stuff and so we uh, one of the things that we found from doing this is that there are two two sort of things outside of the clinic that are really helpful one is citizens advice bureau and shelter mm -hmm. you know two fantastic organizations um, and we do a lot of um kind of telling people about them uh, and the other thing that we've linked this in through is we've got a parent champion program that we've been running in children's centres in Liverpool and more deprived parts of the city where mums, we've trained mums about bronchiolitis, mums who use those centres. Mm -hmm. We've got 10 mums and we pay them to be part of our team in the respiratory team. And basically they do health promotion about smoking, breastfeeding, poverty and housing and other things and you know, how to spot bronchiolitis and that kind of stuff but because they're, they're in some ways are our eyes on the ground and and they're able to tell us some of the stories that they see i mean you know people are living in repurposed shops that are kind of you know there's no window that you can open except it's one massive window and everyone outside can see you know there's one small toilet that had been there for employees and there's five kids crammed in there it's you you sort of look through the kids that we get and it's just the tip of the iceberg and yeah. um, i'm not quite sure how we reach out what one thing that we have tried to do around sort of reaching out a little bit is that i think you you've made a really important point i think it's a very top tip that you should once you've got a clinic like this you can use it as a vehicle to make links with the council and with other people and um and with mps and lawyers and you know all that kind of stuff and and that's great um and i think that that works really well when it's a two-way process mm -hmm. so we've been saying to housing agencies look uh, we've got a named contact there now you're my person i'm going to send you these letters um but also if you stumble across someone that you think i need to see mm -hmm. you send them to me you know we so it's that kind of ecosystem that you develop that, that works well and I mean the how having a named contact there makes a massive yeah. difference we, we we sent a letter for a kid that was that absolutely needed to move and had been waiting a little while and was in a house that wasn't great we wrote this letter I, so I wrote a letter and it kind of got lost somewhere he was the first case we saw actually and then I caught up with them about 18 months later and they said, oh, nothing's happened. I sent it to the contact that we had there. And she told me that a couple of days later, um, 
they got an email from their chief exec because it had found its way through her all the way to the top. And the chief exec, you know, get, getting a 17-page letter from Alder Hayes, that on the basis of that letter, we've seen has just transformed the way that they yeah. act. And and that's the long-term goal here. When you and I don't need to do these clinics, that's when we've really made a success of it. I think you're right. And I think, um, I think there's a lot of questions around the country about whether or not we need to recreate the exact thing that we're doing or whether or not we could do some of it within different services. And I think that's the key bit is, um, and what we're trying to really do as part of our setup process is have a lot of, you know, SOPs and fancy words for basically saying this is what we're doing within the clinic that people can take bits and pieces of um, and use and add to their clinical service. We've already got asthma nurses doing home assessments all over the country, um, but it's about kind of working out what the best bits are to make this useful for the NHS as a whole. Um, but it's about kind of how can we, how is there a legacy that comes out of this that isn't just older hay in rural London and how can we help everybody else to think about this and to pull bits of it into their clinical services as well. The, the the um thing that we were keen to try that we've just not got set up yet. And sometimes one of the things that we think would be really useful is just a weekly 20 minute, half hour open meeting with the DGHs in our network and say, mm -hmm. do you want to bring any cases to this? And we'll discuss it and we'll help you formulate your story about why the housing or the air quality or the dock or yeah. the gas works, whatever, is linking with that. We'll help you formulate that. We'll give you the evidence i mean we've our, the last five pages of our thing is just screenshots of slides from talks that i've done i think i've nicked one of your slides and put it in but um <laughs> you know it's, it's just right this is the story this is what i believe and this is the evidence that backs up what i say and as soon as you put that in it just starts to look like a medical report it looks like i, I kind of i i based ours largely on uh, around the time we were setting it up was uh, around the time that the elegacy deborah case went back to the coroner and I, and I was asked to write a medical report on that and in doing so I was able to see what Prof Grigg was saying what you know yeah. Stephen Holgate was saying and and by like one of the key things in that process was uh, learning from um, lawyers so I've done uh, these are cases that are criticizing the environment agency or housing agency or whatever or the council mm -hmm. um, but one of them was the other way. So I've seen how lawyers think on both sides of this argument. <laughs> and um, and it's really important that the argument is, is watertight from an evidence perspective. So we don't write moral letters. We say this is the evidence from a meta-analysis suggesting that poor indoor air quality affects respiratory symptoms like this. You know, and it just and so by 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 doing that, by helping other clinicians formulate their own letters. I think you start to spread what yeah. the ethos of the clinic clinic is. And you know, maybe that's something we can start to do together. You, you know, we that that might be quite a nice quite a nice approach. Uh, Absolutely. Discussion. Yeah, I think that sounds like a fantastic idea and helps to kind of bring the one of my, my one of my always worries is that a lot of things are very London centric. Um and so that's why I appreciate how much work there is up north um, with your clinic as well but I think when the pollution story is spoken about and the housing story is spoken about you have to make sure that we're 
make realizing that it's not just tertiary centers um, yeah. that's being included and that we need to widen this i think that's been that's been really interesting hasn't it and i think the key thing that i've taken away from what you've said is that you've got to use the clinic as a vehicle to drive to, to make links both within health and, and outside of health um so yeah thank, thank you for that and i think that then brings today's episode to a close so thank you all for listening and please do visit the ask about asthma webpage for more videos more podcasts and to view the full schedule for the week thank you again and goodbye thank you